Hey everyone, it's Michael Ellsberg, and I am so excited to have a special guest today, Michaela Bohm. And Michaela is, in my opinion, the most advanced, the most subtle, the most interesting teacher about sexuality and the intersection of spirituality and sexuality and conscious sexuality out there. And I've spent a lot of time looking. Uh, I first met Michaela when I went to a workshop taught by David Data, who's the author of The Way of the Superior Man, uh, quite some time ago. And at that time, uh, Michaela was traveling and teaching with David Data, uh, and uh, she did so for 13 years. Um, she has a, um, she's a lineage holder in a uh, Kashmiri uh, Shaivism Tantra lineage. Uh, and now has uh, gone out into the world and is teaching her own material to her own audience. Uh, Michaela, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited <laughs> to have you. Thank you for having me. And today uh, we are going to talk about the dark side of conscious sexuality. And what I mean by that when I say that is that... Uh, Anytime you go towards something, you're always going away from something. And I'm always curious about like what is the away from that we're going that we're that we're not paying attention to when we're going towards something. And so there's this whole scene and there's this whole kind of world of conscious sexuality, which you know includes um, tantra and it includes um, people looking into questions about you know what is the conscious masculine, what is the conscious feminine, what is the divine masculine, what is the divine feminine. And I love this world, and I am a part of it, and a lot of my friends are a part of it. Uh, and I'm always curious about like what's not being talked about. You know, what are the what are the things that that everybody knows but nobody's talking about? Um, and so we're going to dive into that today in this segment. And so to begin, uh, I'd like to ask you, uh, Michaela, like what comes to your mind when you hear? the phrase, the, the dark side of conscious sexuality? Like what, what would you say is sort of the, the thing that, that should be being talked about in this, in this scene, in this world, but isn't being talked about? Mm. Well, I mean, there's two ways we could look at it. One being with the dark side being the shadow side, of course, right? which is um, one whole exploration. And then the other side being more the... Um, the realms of sexuality that are uh, more on the darker spectrum of expression, right? The the nastier, kinkier. Uh, <laughs> well, you aspects. know, I'm you know I'm going to want to talk about that at some point in the call. Yeah. Well, um, both of those, you know, both of those can be viewed um, through the lens of what you're talking about in the bigger picture, which is what's not examined, and um, there's aspects of that. Uh, you know of the of the kinky aspects that are not examined, and there's aspects of the whole movement towards conscious sexuality, whatever that means, um, that that have a shadow side or that have a, an unexamined side. You know, I'm always a bit um, loath to uh, talk about the shadow side in that term because um, my education, my original education, was in Jungian psychology. And, um, you know, of course, in, in Jungian psychology, the shadow is uh, defined very specifically 
And nowadays, um, because of you know the, the, the whole shadow aspect be, having been picked up in integral teachings and all other kinds of areas, people throw that term around rather loosely. It's like one of those terms that means nothing really anymore. But so you know, I think the more unexamined or the the areas of of that particular quest for um, you know, uh, an aspect of sexuality that's uh, uh, bringing, I don't know exactly how to say it, but that's bringing all aspects forward, the spiritual, the actual physical, the sexual, the psychological, you know, if you want to call that conscious sexuality or, or tantra, there's a lot of different aspects uh, to it, uh, all of which have examined uh, sides and unexamined sides. Let's uh, since you brought that up, and since we have the benefit of uh, an expert in Jungian psychology here, what what is your take on the kind of the classical correct way to think about the shadow that isn't watered down, as you mentioned? Well, you know, there's there's several ways to look at it. The way I work with it with um, with my clients, and in in the way I'm I'm looking at it is it that it's you know the shadow always has a very negative uh, connotation to it you know and it's um it's not negative in itself it's just unexamined it's the pieces that are not seen the blind spots and uh, that's how i use it and that's how i was taught originally there's a lot more to it of course but it's the blind spot um, that's so important to work with when you do psychological work. And therein lies a bit of an issue because I personally don't think that uh, sacred sexuality or tantra should be psychological work or healing work, but it's used like that a lot. And therein lies a, a huge um, issue, I think, personally. Yeah, uh, let's talk you know. about that. Uh, I think that's very key to this topic is... Uh, the whole idea of spiritual bypass, uh, which, as I understand it, is basically when somebody is using spiritual concepts, using a spiritual uh, path, a spiritual quest to to actually avoid dealing with things that they you know might otherwise need to deal with in psychotherapy or some other kind of some other kind of um, healing, and they're kind of using it to bypass that, and there becomes almost a dissociation. And you know you meet you meet a lot of these people in the conscious spirituality realms where you could just tell they're they're really dissociated from a lot of the issue the underlying issues that they actually were seeking you know the spiritual path or this you know sex, sexual tantric path to to deal with in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I think. Um to to end off where I, you know what where I finished the last question the um uh the notion that uh explorations in sexuality and explorations in uh, particularly in what we call sacred sexuality which is a wide spectrum uh, you know all in itself but explorations in sexuality uh being used as a healing tool is dicey because uh, you are essentially assuming that if you like let's say you had an injury right um, let's say you had a physical injury let's let's go there for a moment right you broke your leg well if you broke your leg the first thing that needs to happen is the leg needs actual 
um, healing. You need a cast or a plate or in surgery to keep the leg together if it's a very bad break. And when your when your bone has healed together and the acute phase of your injury has passed, then you go and you do things appropriate uh, for regaining maximum mobility and functionality. Based on your injury, um, you are going to be successful, and it might never you know it might never hurt, and you just move on as you know always. Or if it's a very bad injury, you will maybe always have a limp, and. Um, you will have to learn how to move or ski or whatever you like to do with a limp. And so uh, the equivalent of that in the sexual domain is somebody who sustained a sexual injury, either through abuse, could have happened just, you know, in the course of early adolescent, uh, you know, sexual exploration, could be a trauma that is not directly sexual, but bled over into the sexual realm. So you sustain an injury and then uh, in an ideal world, you know, that injury gets attended to in the acute version, uh, which is the break, so to speak. But of course, the the nature of acute sexual trauma, or acute sexual injury is that it's usually not treated. And so uh, a lot of people have what um, amounts to the equivalent of a badly healed broken leg in the, not not all people, but some people, you know, they have a badly broken uh, leg that was never set and that was never dealt with. And so now they have a distinct limp in their sexual behavior, so to speak. Um, and that is what they're dealing with. Now, you could, of course, re-break the leg, you know, do surgery, do the play. It's, you know, you can do the equivalent of that in the, in the sexual uh, uh, arena. But for the most part, you're going to be stuck with a certain limp or a certain uh, kink or a certain contraction or a certain injury. Now, if you then go and you somehow think that uh, a tantra course or, you know, an open relationship or whatever your flavor of sexual exploration in that field is, will magically, um, you know, adjust that injury, you are in for some pretty rude awakening. Because it's not, you know, it, it's just not, unless somebody is unbelievably skilled. And some people are, but for the most part, uh, probably not. So you see people, a lot of people, sorry, all my dogs just started barking all at once. Uh, so you see people who come to the field of conscious sexuality or Tantra with uh, the knowledge that they have an injury, uh, if, if they're lucky, right? That's the examined part. The examined part is they have the knowledge they have an injury, but now they're attending to that injury by thinking that the thing that they're doing is spiritual um, and it's going to bring them spiritual gains, so to speak, which in itself is a whole fallacy, right? There's no such thing as spiritual gains, but let's just assume they're coming to it and they're saying, I'm going to do this tantra thing or whatever it is, and that's going to heal my trauma. And then you come across people who have taken that concept because they're now making money from that concept or gaining personal affirmation of their own stuff. And they promise people that if they push them to the edge, that is going to open them and then they're going to have freedom from their sexual break, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And like I said, sometimes that works, but mostly what happens is you're essentially just uh, putting... Um, stress and and pressure and uh 
uh, on that particular break and creating more of the same damage. Uh, now, though, it's in the guise of spiritual growth and it's in the guise of, uh, oh, we're growing, we're evolving, uh, we're on the cutting edge of humanity, we are doing these things, so we are special. So that particular spiritual bypass or that belief that you're somehow better than others because you're you know, fucking in a more conscious way is creating uh, an, uh, a numbing of the underlying pain, which was what caused the, the drive towards that in the first place. So there's a whole lot, and mind you, this is the shadow side, right? There's mm -hmm. other aspects of it, but there's a whole lot of people who are re-traumatizing themselves in their original injuries <clears throat> while thinking they're onto some amazing growth. And they're keeping that engagement into that constant pushing of the edge in place so they don't have to feel what's actually underneath. Mm. Yeah, that what you're saying makes total sense to me. And so my question is, you know, most people have some kind of sexual wounding. I mean, people, there are you know, many people, obviously, who've been abused or violated in some way. But even um, if that wasn't the case, honestly, just the playground, the, the general things that happen on the playground, you know, the teasing and the shaming and the, the different status hierarchies and the way those play out, um, or just the weird sort of um, you know, religious shaming that happens in so many families or w whatever family system has around shame, uh, sexual shame. Most people have some kind of sexual wounding. So if, you know, going to the Tantra course to learn how to have, you know, far out cosmic sex isn't the answer to that wounding, what, what do you recommend? Well, I'm not saying it's not, uh, it's, it's not as clear cut as it's not the answer. It's, when we talk about the spiritual bypass and when we talk about the uh, shadow side, what we're talking about, you ask me what's the shadow, right? What's right. The, how do we define the shadow? The shadow is being unexamined or having a blind spot around your behaviors or your drives towards acquiring these um, tools or doing these things. Um, so... You know, and you're absolutely right. Most people have shit happen in their sexual relational experience. Uh, like I said, you know, uh, when you break your leg, it's attended to. When your heart breaks or when you get shamed sexually, that's not attended to. And most people don't have the appropriate coping skills to, to deal with it. So the, um, uh, the important piece there is to look at if it's unexamined, if there's a blind spot, which is what we're talking about, right, the, the shadow side, then people are not aware that that's what they're doing and they will just perpetuate a certain kind of abuse. Now it's their guru abusing him or, or them or their, uh, their camp at Burning Man or their, um, you know, their polyamorous boyfriend who tells them that if they can't be happy for them fucking another girl, they are unevolved. <laughs> right? and, and, all, and, and when you look, when you talk with people like that, and, you know, I've counseled people for 22 straight years, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, so I've seen it pretty much all, then you see that whatever argument people use are the arguments that were installed, so to speak, in the earlier experiences. So the, um, there's no way out. Those are your experiences, and you're always going to filter your experience through those early um, kinks. Uh, there's this um, beautiful metaphor of um, a, a big, thick piece of Japanese paper being crunched up, 
and uh, you know it 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 gets creases, and then you can iron it out with an iron, and it's going to be completely flat again. But the moment you put the slightest bit of pressure on that piece of paper, the crease lines will appear exactly like they were first formed, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much our psyche in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When in stress, when under pressure, when in another traumatic experience. We're always going to fall back on the earlier crease lines, the earlier kinks. So how you attend to it is by, uh, on one end, creating different kinds of behaviors um, that that are not within those crease lines, so to speak. And on the other end, accepting and loving uh, your particular um, creases, because that's actually what makes you. Mm. And... It, you know, it, it's um, it's a bit nebulous when I say that, but when you are actually knowing and seeing and examining the particular creases you're dealt with, you've left the shadow of that whole thing, right? You might still do it and you might still go to the same tantra workshops and you might still do all the same stuff, but uh, you are no longer uh, victim to it or unconsciously acting out the same patterns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so it sounds like really uh, what you're saying is to is is first to be aware, and mm. then second to to love those parts unconditionally without trying to um, you know figure like oh if I just take one more workshop this is going to be fixed, uh, but it's it's more like oh okay this is this is going to be a wrinkle that I have, and let me let me love that I have wrinkles just like a person who's aging physically eventually, you know, needs to love that they're going to have wrinkles or they're going to hate themselves the whole time. Right. And, well, I, I'd be happy with uh, acceptance, I, you know, <laughs> I, I meaning if, if most people could in fact just say, oh, this is what I'm doing, it would make already uh, a huge difference, you know. Yes, I, ideally you love it and you accept it fully, but that's a, you know, that's a path in, in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, the important piece is you do, you do at least um, allow yourself to have, have awareness of it and you're not down on yourself. And what do you see are some of the pitfalls that you see people? I mean, you've been t- teaching workshops and, and guiding people for a long time. What are some of the pitfalls when people don't have this awareness and acceptance of, of the kind of kinks and creaks and creases mm-hmm. that, that come from the early you know, wounding. Well, the pitfalls are the pitfalls we're discussing, which is that they go and they attend workshops in a desperate attempt to heal themselves or require uh, acquire you know uh, knowledge that will make them a better person. And in there, of course, lies a horrible problem because whoever you are is who you are, and you are innately born good and complete and perfect, and everything you do. Um, to self-improve from a place of lack and feeling bad about yourself isn't going to fill that particular hole or or soothe that wound. Now, that's not to say that you don't want to go and do those workshops. I teach those workshops, but I teach workshops specifically so people learn skills that they can use, not so that people... Um, you know, feel better about themselves. That mm-hmm. That no one can, you know... Mm-hmm. do anything um so you know there's a big difference between 
uh, doing things in order to fill that hole that's never that can't be filled, which is I'm not good enough or I suck or nobody loves me or I'm sexually inadequate or whatever it is. And going, well, there's areas where I'm not skilled. Let me learn some skills. You know, one results in, in a constant need for uh, outward input, both in the realm of taking classes and other people uh, affirming you. The other one results in self-confidence because you're actually applying yourself and you're applying yourself to learning skills that give you competency and that creates more confidence. Right. So, I, and I've seen this, for example, uh, you know, I've been involved with men's groups um, and I know, you know, a lot of my female friends are involved with women's groups um, in this conscious sexuality world. And what I see sometimes is we can come into these with this presupposition that, you know, there's, there's something wrong with me. And like, I, I need to learn how to be a better man, or I need to learn how, you know, to be like, uh, you know, how to reach this like higher level of masculinity or this higher level of femininity or something. And there's a kind of, uh, an entry into the, the work with a presupposition that, that I'm missing something I'm lacking. There's something wrong with me that needs to be fixed. And what I hear you saying is if you enter the work with that presupposition, you're actually screwed before you even start. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you, you, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, there's nothing else to be said other than what you said. You're screwed before you start because you're coming from a, you know, from a, from a place that can't be fixed, that can't be healed. So how do you work with a client or a participant who comes in and really attached to the story? Like there's something wrong with me and I need your workshop to fix it. So they're like coming in with like the wrong attitude already. How do you, how do you deal with someone like that with that, with it's coming in that way? Um, well, you know, it's not that they come in with the wrong attitude because, you know, once again, when we talk about this, we're talking about unexamined um, motivations and beliefs. So it, it's, it's a, a matter of uh, shining some light on the areas that are unexamined. And it's somewhat tricky to do that because, of course, the reason we behave the way we, we behave is that we have certain belief systems that rely on the fact that we have unexamined areas. And we all have them. We all have huge blind spots, including myself. Um, so um, the, the thing to to uh, look at there for you know me when I teach people and and in, with clients it's different because with a client I have time and space to walk them backwards towards those blind spots and you know you can do it in a way where you don't have to rub their nose and shit so to speak you know <laughs> <laughs> in in workshops. Um, one of the ways uh, that we do it, and, and Steve, who I teach with, is very, very good at this, is to not feed that particular delusion of, um, I, you know, I can get better, I can get more spiritual. God slash daddy slash mommy will love me if I become more spiritual. You know, that whole thing. We just don't um, feed into that. And... Uh, that will result in a certain amount of people not wanting uh, to participate because they've been raised by a whole industry 
to come for a state experience that makes them feel like they've been opened, right? And they've uh, they've kind of picked the scab of the wound, as, as Steve would say it, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and then you know they they are expanded and they leave, and hopefully um, that that expansion and and uh, opening leads to a little bit of. Uh, growth you know it could also just be that the scar tissue was opened popped and then people have a massive back um, you know kind of a, a rubber band which happens quite a bit and they don't actually open more on the contrary they've just closed a little bit more because if it's just done for the effect of creating an amazing state experience that's like doing drugs right i mean you can do drugs and have incredible expansions and then fry your nervous system and be fucked up. Or you can have drugs given by the right person, the right circumstances, in the right frame, uh, with the right you know, um, shaman or facilitator, where the expansion is appropriate to the person's nervous system and there's actual learning happening. No. Mm-hmm. But most facilitators rely on creating huge openings so people leave with this amazing expansion and then there isn't really any aftercare for when they snap closed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and something you said really stuck out at me there was uh, this whole idea that like I'll be worthy of love if such and such. Like if I – I think a lot of people come into um, – you know, personal growth workshops or spiritual teachings uh, with a sense of like, okay, I don't have such and such. And when, when I do have that, then I'll be worthy of love. And um, that seems to me, I mean, I've seen a lot of people in this world where they're like, they're really, really like stressed out about like, I've got to do this the right way. And I've got to like be this like conscious masculine or this conscious feminine. And I've got to, I've got to like live up to this ideal um, and it seems almost like a, a recontinuation of the shaming that maybe happened in their family or on the playground or something where it's like, you're not living up, you're not good enough. You're not, and people have just found another thing to not be good enough at. Exactly. Exactly. It's just another thing, right? And and you're projecting all your parents' stuff and you're projecting all your, you know, I mean, and that's, it, that's why it's very interesting when people have teachers and gurus because it can be held both ways. It can be held in a way where you actually get to examine those things or it can be used to uh, make you just pay and tithe and uh, contribute and go to, from workshop to workshop to workshop. Right, because if you, it's just like it's just like fashion uh, ads or jewelry ads or, or makeup ads where it's like if they create this belief that like you're not good enough unless you're not good enough unless you buy this it's really no different you're not good enough unless you buy this you know this five thousand dollar pair of shoes or something or you're not good enough unless you buy this five thousand dollar uh you know mastermind retreat yeah Um, it's all kind of the same type of marketing yeah exactly you are wrong we have the answer drink this snake oil or take buy this snake oil (laughs) <laughs> it's actually so rare to find somebody who doesn't uh operate that way and who doesn't because it's it's tempting for someone who's like running a business to kind of like make people think like oh well you like you're you know you're really going to be fixed if you 
if you do this next level training, you know, and so many different um, personal growth workshops have that kind of attitude. It's incredibly refreshing to talk with someone who has the integrity to just say, no, you're you're already fine. Actually, you're you're totally worthy of love, <laughs> whether you study with me or not, <laughs> whether you take my next training or not. You know? Yeah, well, you know, and that's not to say I don't have to do marketing and all the things that one does when one f- fills workshops. But one of the reasons I'm out on my own, I mean, there's many, one of which I inherited my, you know, my te- my original teacher's Tantra lineage, which is quite a responsibility as far as actually training other people to teach, uh, which I'm doing now. And I'm, mm-hmm. we talked about it. I'm doing a teacher training. But the other reason I, I've kind of moved on is that uh, the, you know, the, 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 the selling of the snake oil, the, um, uh, you know, opening of the the experience, uh, and then the not educating and integrating is something that I just don't want to do because I see what it does, and uh, what it what it does is a you know is a is a phenomenon that you see quite a lot, which is people get very dogmatic. They're trying to find something that they can hold on to because there isn't an actual education on. What's the next step? How do you integrate it? Where where do you go from here? Now that you've had this experience, uh, what do you do? It's the same with you know. It, I mean, that's I'm likening it to psychedelic drugs, which, um, when when uh, taken in the right kind of circumstance, can change a person's complete outlook on life, uh, or you're just gonna always have to have a drug dealer nearby for your next experience. Right. And I don't want to necessarily be the one who's pushing the drugs, if I can yeah. help it. <laughs> Good for you to avoid that position. Thank you. Not everybody, you know, there's a lot of people who who run towards being the one where it's like, you need the next hit of me or else, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be good enough or whatever. So uh, something I've heard you mention before, Michaela, which I thought was very interesting was that uh, when you facilitate men's work and men's uh, uh, men's groups now, or put together men's groups, um, you know, you don't, you really shy away from, or, or just are not interested in the typical format where it's very militaristic in the sense of like you make these commitments and you've got to you got to do them exactly as you said, or you don't have accountability and you have accountability partners who will like punish you in some way or humiliate you if you don't follow through on your word. And it's this very kind of sharp, militaristic, rigid kind of attitude. And you were sharing with me uh, how you, you have begun to see that as totally problematic. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say problem. Yeah. Problematic. I mean, You know, people do what people do, but to me, that's yet another expression of what we just talked about, which is this somehow belief that you're not good enough, and if you can just buck up and try harder and do more, then you're going to be good. So now, you know, you have other men enforce the voice of your father, or the lack of voice of your father, you know, it's one or the other. You know, it's, it's just the different sides of the coin, or the voice of God, or the voice of your guru, Right, where you now make other people responsible for abusing you um, into proper behavior. And that, to me, is just ridiculous. And I understand that some people are flaking, flaky and lacking of stuff and all of that. But to attend to that in a men's group in a way that 
you have other people uh, punish you and shame you and give you consequences and you pay money and you know you get kicked out for not being accountable that's just more of the same you know that that's the thing that i'm talking about where you are just very unconsciously giving over authority to other people to act out the uh, you know the the injuries of your childhood because the thing is if you're not doing the shit that you want to be doing you have to look at that from a place of well are you doing them in the first place and i saw that a lot in the in the earlier iterations of men's groups um you know a lot of guys when you really question why they came up with the goals or the things that they said they wanted to do they were completely born out of that particular quest for getting daddy's or god's or a woman's approval mm -hmm. that it wasn't really born from the deepest desire mm -hmm. uh that that welled up within them to get something done and then they got it done or didn't get it done it was born from that pathology of if i do this then i'll be a good boy or then i'll be a good son or then i'll be a good spiritual practitioner and so when you when you look at it that way uh, and you take it back a few steps and you look at somebody's stuff coming from an actual true motivation and not just a motivation to make up for whatever their childhood wounding was, they usually don't have a problem doing that. They might want other men to uh, reflect some things to them, but they certainly don't need other men to exact punishment for them not having gotten their ass out of bed in the morning because when it comes from the proper motivation you get your ass up in the morning all right right and if you don't you look at it more from a functional space of well you didn't sleep enough or you are drinking too much coffee late at night and not from a place of okay man i need to be more accountable that <laughs> that, that to me is just um infantilizing uh disempowering and emasculating in a different way mm, mm. you can hear i get foaming at the mouth when i talk about it because <laughs> you know one of the things that that have been just incredibly beautiful in the last i would say year and a half is that in my own men's groups and men's workshops and with the strong influence of steve who i teach with um we've really gone away from these things so completely and working on you know, getting guys in touch with the somatic reasons for what they're doing and, and uh, the, the emotional um, underpinnings of what happens in their bodies and, and giving them confidence and giving them skills and training them in somatic ways so these things happen automatically. I mean, there's a guy in one of my men's groups who went from uh, being a daily heavy pot smoker, very unmotivated in a certain way, to, uh, I mean, kicking serious ass and totally having changed pretty much everything in his life except his job, which he seems to really enjoy. And he is such a different human being and nobody ever held him accountable. He never asked for, you know, it was never the, okay, I can't smoke. You know, if I come back next time and I've smoked, I put $100 in a jar. It was none of that. It was never even mentioned. I didn't know that that was going on till he came one day and said, I haven't touched, you know, weed in six weeks and I didn't even notice. And yeah. then it was like, oh, because it wasn't about shaming him. It wasn't about him buying into his own bullshit. It was about from the ground up um, allowing him access to the parts of him that were actually really good and really 
fantastic and working with his body and working with his emotions and not numbing himself with these classic men's group practices to a point where he couldn't feel what was happening underneath. Instead, all the exercises, all the explorations were about feeling what's really underneath without the anesthesia of the exercise or the exploration or the challenge. And with that, he owned it, he knew it, he did it, nobody ever talked about it. He came out with it as an afterthought uh, and everybody had just nothing but amazing respect and, uh, for him and was motivated. Mm, um, mm. Wonderful. What do you see as some of the um, the pitfalls in the way that women's groups are often run? I know that they tend to have less of that militaristic kind of accountability, shaming, uh, shaming kind of tone. But where where do you see some of the pitfalls in the women's work that you see out there and how you like to run things differently? Um, well, the same is true for the women. It's just it has a different flavor. For the women, it usually plays out with if you were just the goddess um, and if people would just accept you as the goddess. So it goes both ways. It's like the, uh, the need for outside validation where people have to accept you as a goddess and the, the need for learning the skills so you be, can be the kind of woman who uh, gets a good man, that's, once again, the assumption that who you are is shit, right? And you are too much in your masculine, and you, you, you know, you're not uh, life enough, and your orgasms are not good enough, and you are not, you know, the dakini uh, with the mostest, right, or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, yeah. and hence, hence, if you would just be those things, then then somebody would acknowledge you. In this in this case, because for us women, that's a big deal, right? Is a man. Then a man will love you. Then you will be accepted by a man. And then so so uh, you know, S Steve calls it the hook sharpening. You know, you learn you you learn all the different tools that allow you to sharpen your hook so you can hook a better man. And in that particular, now you would maybe learn the same skills uh, that you would learn for hook sharpening, but you would learn them as skills for your own development, for your own well-being, because you want to become a full, um, you know, uh, full and fully expressive woman, human being, actually, and not just so you get a good guy, and that's um that's a big difference when you come from a place of uh who you are is good enough who you are can't be any other which way it is and uh then you acquire skills so that which you are can be expressed more fully mm. then it's incredibly beautiful because and sometimes you see that like in a women's workshop you know when when women are invited and there's also a whole aspect of other women and how they support or not support we can talk about it in a second but when women are invited to not just um put on you know the whatever it is the stripper moves or the uh you know sacred whore moves or whatever is out there which is by the way not bad but if it's once again done so you can get somewhere with you know your life 
it becomes very rote. But when women can feel their own expression of those energies, which every woman has very strongly, uh, but no two look alike. And when you force them to pretty much look alike, you create, uh, you know, Stepford Dakinis, so to speak. <laughs> We're going to have to use that term, Stepford Dakinis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that just came from, but that is a very good term. That right? is a great term. Yeah. And, and that's what, that, what then happens, right, is you have Stepford Dakinis who, who, who all move the same way and who all do the same things and they all wear the same clothes pretty much and everybody looks like they've just stepped off the playa or, you know, whatever. Um, and that's not true for every woman. I mean, that is just not true. And when it comes from that place of let me bring who I am into into the world, into existence, into movement, into fullness, not from a place of lack, but from a place of abundance and plenty uh, as a gift, that's a whole other story. And you can totally tell the difference between the desperation of the do you love me do you love me am i doing this right is this good and the actual pleasure in the body that comes from allowing yourself to feel yourself so what i'm hearing michaela is that um, a lot of people come into conscious sexuality work uh the men and the women come into it often with this sense of if i just do this i'm gonna get the perfect goddess or if i just do this i'm gonna get the perfect god and we're gonna i'm gonna it's, it's almost like a, there's a desperation um as you've described it that people are are coming in um and i have a question about that which may be a little bit of a tangent but i think i think we're gonna wind back into to um seeing exactly how this fits in is there's a general sense when I talk to people in this world, in this scene, that there's a kind of question of like, where are all the men, you know? And it's like, I I know a lot of women in their 30s who have really done a lot of work on themselves and they, um, you know, are really kicking ass in their career and they're, they've got their health and their wellness together and they've got you know their creativity and their they've got their social circle and their sisters and they're earning money and they're you know they're they're have um just like they really have things together and they're looking to be met and they're looking for their partner and they're not finding him and they're 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 wondering like where are the guys what why why can i not feel met where i am and there's maybe a sense that the guys are a little bit behind in the conscious work that they're doing and that there's some of the guys are playing catch up. Do you do you have that sense? Do you you kind of know what I'm talking about there? I know what you're talking about. I hear it all the time. It's like a Greek chorus uh, in <laughs> <laughs> both in when people come to workshops, uh, you know, personal stuff, interviews. Um, you know, that, oh God, that's such a big, big can of worms uh, that can be opened. So, so let let's open it. Um, first, I would uh, okay. Let let's start let's start somewhere and then open it wider. So, I hear it all the time. Um, I experience it certainly, uh, you know, via my my clients and and the women who come to my workshops who say that very very thing. I personally don't experience it, um, meaning I know lots of really amazing guys, um, 
And I also don't experience it in my men's groups. My men's groups are filled with incredible men. I mean, just, uh, you know, such good men. And also, uh, we haven't talked about this in this podcast, but you notice I have a uh, a roster of very high-profile celebrity clients, uh, rock stars, entertainers, uh, actors, actresses, uh, you know, producers, and all the men in that particular realm are incredibly good men. So I personally don't have that experience. I hear it all the time. I certainly deal with it in the way I'm trying to lead women's groups and um, educate women because there's a certain kind of a mistake in that statement and a mistake in the attitude, and there's a, which is understandable, and we'll talk about why it looks the way it looks and uh, and the kind of propaganda that has led to that particular belief. And, you know, I, I get a lot of shit for that when I say that because most women have ample evidence that the men they're meeting are shit, and there's a reason for that. But the men they're meeting and the men that are out there are two different things. And a lot of the women that we're talking about who are these, including myself, if I would have to date, which I thankfully don't have to, but if I would have to date, I would have to deal with the exact same set of circumstances that they are having to deal with, which is a certain disposition, and I'll get there a little bit later, that makes it that the kind of men that they want are actually repelled by them. And that the kind of men they want never give them a second look. And furthermore, that they can barely recognize those men uh, themselves. And it's incredibly painful because uh, most women, including myself, the, the, the one thing that we really, really, really want to do is give everything that we've achieved and learned and um, developed and we are, and everything that we are to a mate, you know, to a man in whatever form the 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 mate part takes can be conventional, can be unconventional. So the um, you know the pain is real, uh, absolutely. Uh, the fact uh, of what the women talk about, the men the men that they meet, that's real, absolutely. I'm not saying that's not real, but is it really true that there's not many good men out there, but most men are just idiots these days and uh, not as evolved and uh, misogynist or, you know, in the, in the grips of the patriarchy or in all of that. I wouldn't say that that's true across the board, neither in Europe where I teach nor in, uh, in the U.S. and we've just taught in Australia. I didn't feel it there either. On the contrary, I actually have to say that for the most part, when um, I see the men who come to my men's groups, and granted, that's a you know that's a slice of men, but also the men I see when I do I, I do a fair share of business meetings and um, board meetings and things like that, where I'm um, working in a different capacity than when I teach. Those are incredibly good men. I mean, really, really good men. And many of those men have acquired. A quite strong and acute and finely honed feeling sense. And, you know, for many, many years, in many, many books, um, it's always been described that men are just these dolts. They can't feel anything. They And, and they can't, you know, they can't uh, perceive anything and they have to be hit over the head with large emotions and all of that. And that used to be true 15, 20 years ago. 
it's certainly no longer true in my experience, particularly with um, the men I encounter and with younger men, because most men have had to learn how to develop these skills or they would not have made it anymore in a workplace that is very much more and more now, um, you know, uh, interspersed with very strong, accomplished women, uh, with, you know, men raising their children or many men raising their children uh, while women are out there working uh, or as, as single fathers or things of that nature. So most guys I know are, have a very strong feeling sense and they had to develop it and they had to learn it and they had to acquire tools and skills like intuition and feeling and feeling another person and appropriate social response because that wasn't um, taught um, you know, naturally, there's a whole other, uh, you know, um, tangent I could go on to, which I'm just bookmarking here, which is the lack of touch amongst men, which plays mm -hmm. into this as well. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, men have acquired these skills, while for the most part, women have actively uh, worked against those skills. Because, and this is true for me as uh, much as for any of the women I know who are in very high-stress, high-powered, um, high-performance positions, right? I just taught in front of a thousand people. And um, that requires a, a certain kind of a, um, I don't want to say clenching down, but um, uh, narrowing and uh, channeling of your energy. Because it's not a clenching down, but it's a certain narrowing and channeling and directing of energy that makes you less sensitive. It makes you less feeling. And particularly if you work a corporate job and you're in a boardroom and you have to make decisions based uh, from a very rational standpoint, not from what you're feeling in your body, uh, because that's not appropriate for the workplace. It's appropriate for your sexual relationship. But um, so a lot of women have actively numbed uh, that part of them or it just happened in the in in the you know uh, very masculine workforce either way you know active or or in or or as a you know collateral damage a lot of women aren't that sensitive anymore a lot of women have also learned uh, to be highly competitive with other women for the sake of getting ahead so they are no longer as sensitive to social cues anymore amongst women uh, as they used to be because that's what was required. Now, I'm making very broad generalizations. Of course, there's, you know, there's always somebody who can say it's not true for me or I'm working against this. But as a general um, direction, you are, you are uh, often seeing that the women who are the most accomplished have lost a certain amount of that feeling sense but they still think they have it. So they trust their intuition, but it's no longer their intuition. It's their projection often. Um, and it's not very examined because it's always considered uh, that a woman's domain to be finally feeling and intuitive and, and act from your gut. But that's no longer through, you know, and through true. While a lot of men who've been considered, um, you know, blunt instruments have become quite finely tuned. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying all of this to say that what's assumed that's out there isn't what's out there anymore. And there's a lot of uh, dogma and a lot of uh, uh, writing and teaching on 
uh, men be, you know, men being that way and women being that way and women having this genius of energy and, and sensitivity when mostly when I have people in workshops and they stand facing each other, um, and they're doing, you know, exercises that have to do with attraction and all of that. That's, that's actually no longer true. Mm-hmm. So that's one piece. And then coming back to the women who want the kind of men, um, that are the good men, you know, that are considered the good men. Um, what I find and what I certainly would encounter myself if I wasn't careful and aware of this, you know, because it happens quite automatically, is that when you have that certain kind of accomplishment and you've done all the work and you are proud of who you've become and you know, you're financially independent and you have a say in the world and you consider yourself a thought leader in your field and you've accomplished things and maybe you've started a company and, and all of those kind of things, that level of directedness, that level of um, strong ability to create your own container is very off-putting for the kind of men that those women want. Mm-hmm. Just because there's no room, you know, there's absolutely, um, I mean, just no room. Mm -hmm. There's no other way of putting that. And a man of the kind of caliber, and I know quite a few of those men, they don't give those women the time of day because it's just, and that's their words, not mine, it's just too much work. It's just too tedious to constantly corral and, and, and uh, tell a woman what to do who doesn't want to be told what to do because she has a very clear, strong direction of her own, and rightly so. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, not only women, but a lot of people have stopped trusting other people because they've received bad advice or they've done things other people wanted them to do just for the sake of being loved. So most women no longer have the willingness or the emotional capacity to recognize when a man actually can see something that they can't see and points them in a direction that doesn't really feel that good. And then that thing kicks in, no, that doesn't feel good. I don't want to do that, which could be a sign that actually isn't good or it could be a sign that this is a man who maybe has a bigger vision and who is maybe a little bit more accomplished in a certain domain, who is willing to um, give some guidance. And then when that guidance is refused or when you have women who, uh, in the in the kink scene, you would call a, a bratty bottom, right? Mm-hmm. A woman who will just fight you all the way because mm-hmm. she wants to be overwhelmed by your direction. Mm-hmm. Most guys who are really that accomplished, they, they just immediately move on Mm -hmm. and it's so subtle i've heard guys say that they go on a date with a woman or they even are approaching a woman like let's say in a social situation um and that woman does a few little things that that just assert her you know her need to run her own ship they immediately move on because they don't have the willingness to do that thing that's so well described in men's groups, you know, weather or storm, give her the strong direction. That's all good and fine if there's an opening. Otherwise, right, it's like you're fucking a wall, essentially, yeah. right? There's no yeah. opening. That has to be an opening, and then that opening can be enlarged, so to speak, and 
the woman in question can relax and can see if she can actually trust the man gradually and over time. But if there isn't an opening, those good men aren't even going there. And then you hear women complain that the really eligible men that they know go for bimbos, so to speak, you know, floozies or whatever you would want to call it. And that's true because some guys, you know, don't have distinctions, but uh, on some on some level, but it's not always true because some guys see in those women that those women consider just idiots or floozies um, the ability to actually make an impact. And one of the quintessential movements uh, in the in the realm of sexual polarity is the uh, contributing, right? The, the the contributing to somebody's life, the, the making somebody's life better through your contribution, not in a white knight, you are, you know, some traumatized little chicky who I can rescue and then you'll love me forever, but in a, oh, I have some skill here and here I can actually uh, contribute to you. So what then is the answer for these independent, strong-minded women who've you know, spent so much time, and rightly so, building up their their careers and their financial life and their power in the world. Um, and presumably the answer is not that they give all that up or that they necessarily go and become housewives or they pretend to be ditzy or something <laughs> like what for that woman. I know so many of them who are really longing for that, that powerful masculine man who will just take them and claim them and penetrate them. You're, what I hear you saying is there, there needs to be, she needs to have an openness to that and, and that perhaps some women actually aren't open to that as much as they think. Right. What is the what is the answer for those women then? Um, you know, there's no one path answer. It depends on the woman and it depends on the circumstance. It's always, you know, making very big generalizations here. You have to, of course, um, channel this through your particular disposition because um, – it, I'm not saying don't do all the things you are doing in your life. I do all of those things. I kick ass with the best of them all the time. It's just that uh, once again, you have to have examined your need to be in control. And is that is that need based on uh, not being able to give it up? Or is that based on the knowledge of your innate gifts and that you want to yield them, uh, you know, wield them, not yield them, wield them, uh, you know, to your fullest power, which will mean you're kicking some ass and you, you know, you, you make your own things happen. Or is it just because you have to do that once again so that you're acknowledged and loved and things like that? And then from there you learn, and that's a big part of what I do, you know, in my professional life, you learn how to relax that uh, focus. How do you relax that direction for the sake of the relational sexual interaction? And what that mostly means is that you're going to have to work with your body because the thing you do all day is the thing your body does always, right? Or almost always. So that whole thing, I want to be ravished by a you know strong masculine man well if your body can't relax and if a guy has to work really 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 hard just to get you somewhat open um you know that's not 
that's not the best way to go because it, it's often considered that if a guy just does it right, then it's all going to be okay. Well, that that is essentially like laying there and saying, do me. Right? There mm-hmm. has to be uh, an ability in the body to go from directed to pleasure, um, to pleasurable, right? There has to be um, an ability to both be incredibly focused and also let it go and allow the natural flow of the body and the natural flow of uh, the emotions to go. And that doesn't just happen. And, um, you know, most women know that, hence all the goddess circle and that, you know, womb dancing and the this and the that. That's the right idea. It just can't come from a place of lack. It just has to come from a place of, oh, these are skills I don't have in my body. If you've never played the piano and I give you a piano, you you might have you might love piano music. You might have read all about playing the piano. But if you, I give you a piano, your fingers will not have the skills to play the piano. And the same way, if you spend every day, all day, being a certain way in your body, which is required for being very accomplished, then when the moment comes, your body isn't cooperating with the movement of the, you know, of the of that kind of devotional, relational, sexual surrender. Mm. What, what I see a lot um, talking to my female friends who are in this position, who are looking for guys, is that they want to surrender. They really want to have that experience of surrender. Um, and what I see, though, is they meet guys who are like, like what in their view, like most of the way there, like they're not like total duds, but they're not, they're like, Oh, I don't really fully trust this guy enough to surrender. And then what I see is this downward spiral where the, where like the guy collapses cause he's feeling judged. He's like, well, you don't trust me. And then he sort of like maybe has some kind of, you know, hissy fit or something about like, you're not, you're not trusting me. And then the woman trusts him less. And then she start, and it's this downward spiral where, neither side is having the experience that they want. Um, so how do, how, from the woman's perspective, like how does a woman know when she really should trust a guy to surrender to him versus when he's off and he's actually not holding the container well and he's not, he's not holding the, that, the, the space well, as they say in this community. Um, mm-hmm. how, so you, you are asking what can a woman do to train a man? Well, I think that the women don't want to train the men that I talk to. They don't want to train them, but they but they keep having this experience of not fully trusting the guy fully to surrender and not feeling claimed or not feeling penetrated enough to surrender. So it's this it's this kind of dance that both sides get into where they're like neither side is feeling uh like they have what's in place, like they, they have what they want to trust to either like fully claim or to fully surrender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to say this quickly. All of which is absolutely right and all of which is absolutely wrong. And what I mean by that is, yeah, sometimes you can trust a guy. And then you shouldn't surrender. Absolutely. That that would just be stupid. I mean, there's lots of people doing that where and then they re injure themselves in that in the realms of the trauma. Right? That's what we talked about earlier. And sometimes you just have to assume 
when in general uh, every sign points towards this man actually more often than not making the right calls and the right decisions as by the way is evidenced by things like how does he run his business how does he run his life does he have money uh, money isn't you know the thing in itself but it evidences something does he have look at his friends you know all of those kind of things when when things look quite good consistently and when evidence has shown that the call he makes is a good call at some point you're going to have to give it up and also at some point you're going to have to give it up knowing that it could go wrong because that constant nitpicking and the constant wanting it better and the constant it not being right that's a tool to keep yourself from actually getting the thing and that happens a lot yeah that's what i see i i see that a lot in my community is um uh, like a woman will find a new guy and they'll be like mostly right. It's like, okay, his career is going well and he's got good friends, but like there's this one area where she does, where he's like, he doesn't have his shit together and she doesn't trust him. And then she's in this, this like bind where it's like, okay, do I coach him to like overcome that thing? So he's like the perfect man that I've always dreamed of. Do I let this almost perfect man go in the hopes that, you know, I find the perfect man in the next, you know, horizon of however long it is before, you know, I want to have kids or whatever it is yeah. that the woman is thinking about. I see that. I see my female friends in that bind a lot. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> uh, you know, because I mean that would somehow that that connotes that she's perfect and if she could just find the perfect man then everything would be perfect. Yeah, probably not going to happen. Um and and that is why most of the women don't have men who say they really want a man because the thing is there is no such thing as perfection, and even if it's pretty damn good, um, you'll have fights and you'll have disagreements and you'll have areas that you're not agreeing on. And it's a complete insanity to assume that another person can give you everything you want to begin with. Right? That's just never going to happen, particularly not in the context of the lives we are leading right now, which are not the lives our parents or grandparents uh, led. Right? Nobody expected uh, that you were made fulfilled all your requirements. You got together for a specific person uh, 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 reason, and that was mostly you had children. Maybe you ran a business together, or something of that nature. But you didn't expect that your uh, husband or wife was everything. Right now, you're supposed to be. Uh, business partners, collaborative uh, partners in spiritual growth, uh, fantastic lovers, conscious parents, um, whores in the bedroom, uh, you know, CEOs in the in the boardroom, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, that's that's just not possible. It's it's just not. And so, all that well, he's good in all those areas, but not in this one. Is very tricky. Because also, every time you say that, you're once again sending a message that who they are isn't good enough. And anybody who is actually somewhat sane isn't going to put up with that. And anybody who is into some codependent uh, play of that kind is then going to engage in that dance of insanity that you see all the time. Right? Where People break up, they get back together, they make each other's lives hell for no other reason than it's not exactly the way you want it. And um, 
chances are pretty good that the person who is making the request that that one area isn't fine also has areas that are less than you know perfect yeah, yeah. so at some point you're going to have to just uh say okay well as I can see and as my friends can see and as is evidenced by outside markers that are fairly clear markers, this man more often than not makes good decisions and I can't trust him. And yeah, he isn't perfect and sometimes he fucks up and I get hurt. But for the most part, um, I like where he's going and that's where I want to go. Mm, but mm. of course, what you see much more is... Uh, women who pick a guy who isn't quite that which they desire, figure, figuring that they can, like you said, coach him to become that man. And that, of course, is death, because what is he going to do? If he does what she tells him to do, he's her little boy or her bitch. If he doesn't, he's an asshole. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's that's, a complete double bind, and uh, you see it so much. Yeah, whenever I have a female friend who's who is in some way trying to coach her guy to be the guy she wants him to be, I'm I I point that out. I'm like, look, you're you're not going to be happy either way on this one because if just like you said, if he becomes your your good little student, then like if you're wanting that powerful man. You're not you don't want the little student who's like your you know your good a plus student who puts the apple on your desk you know right <laughs> um, let's talk about on the guy's side here um, the the kind of counterpart narrative I hear or I observe a lot um, on the guy's side in terms of those who say they're wanting to be in a relationship um, I know I know like multiple um, guys in in this position and honestly I've been in this position at times in my life too where they're like yeah I'm looking for my partner I'm looking for my match I'm looking for the goddess um, but really if you look at their behavior it's like they're looking for the goddesses <laughs> they're like all around them and it's like now <laughs> in this this age of like tinder and burning man and polyamory and kink and you know play parties like it's like there's there's all these guys who like who just their attention is kind of going in every direction and like they they say like oh yeah i'm ready for conscious partnership but there's like there's so many opportunities to like party and have fun and have all these wild crazy experiences that it doesn't seem like that's where their energy is going necessarily what's your take on that whole side of it well you know once again that's a question of uh, what's examined and what's not examined, right? I mean, if it's the lip service of the guy saying the things he knows that the women like to hear um, or society likes to hear or he make t makes himself believe, then that's one thing. If he really wants that, that's another thing. But in general, I would um, always assume, well, always, you know, in, in general, I should say, I would assume that uh, most men are built for uh, multiplicity, you know, for multiple flavors, for multiple textures. And that's just evolutionary amongst many other, you know, there's other reasons too. So that doesn't mean like the, the way that women are built to want food for, uh, you know, the reasons of ovulation, pregnancy and certain things, sweets, uh, you know, uh, carb-rich foods. Now, 
women don't eat all the food that they can find. And men don't necessarily, unless that's what they specifically set out to do, fuck everything that moves. Now, you could, and women can eat, some women can eat everything they want to eat. Uh, some women eat everything they want to eat and then throw it up. Some men fuck everything they want to fuck and then, you know, whatever. It's a whole, you, you can go at it like that. But in general, for most people, there comes a moment where, uh, or for most men, there comes a moment where fucking everything that moves gets quite tiresome and um, involved. But uh, to acknowledge that that's, um, even if you don't act on it, is in you is very helpful. It's when you are saying one thing, but really something completely and entirely different is happening that you, you're going to get screwed up because you're giving one message and something else happens. And then maybe you feel bad for feeling that way because you have actually the desire to have a, a wife and children, but you're on Tinder every freaking evening enjoying the, you know, the, the spoils of Tinder so it's it's once again bringing it from the from the from the darkness of the unexamined into the light and knowing what you're doing and if you really want to find the kind of woman you want to settle down with you probably first have to um get the that lack mentality out of your system, right? A lot of guys never had the sexual experiences and never had as many women as they would have liked to have. So then they go into the relationships that they think they should have or, you know, they get somebody pregnant or they fall in love and they just compromise and then it crops back up in the famous, you know, midlife crisis and, and other other explorations in the, oh, we must open the relationship. All, all of those things can be, you know, an outcrop of not having done it in your 20s. Um, or, you know, uh, getting divorced in your late 30s and then still not doing it because you're immediately getting into the next serial uh, monogamy or, you know, maybe you open the relationship, but now you have to discuss every sexual exploit with the three women who are your partners and everybody's pissed and you are doing a lot more discussing than fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I've so, definitely seen that one. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and you know, for some people that's necess that's a necessary step, but all of those are the things that happen. And uh, it's never been uh, explored and uh, examined in the psyche as there is an abundance of women, there's an abundance of flavor, there's an abundance of... Uh, different uh, variations of the goddess, if you want to put it like that. And you've had enough of it that you can actually make a choice. And it's not a choice out of scarcity. Oh, I need to nail this one down because God knows if another one comes along and then you get kind of hamstrung by the demands of that particular goddess. Or you can explore what needs to be explored till you're clean and clear enough that your choices are motivated not by scarcity but by abundance. And a woman can always feel that when a man has worked that particular part of uh, himself out because they are no longer as craven and they no longer have to stare after every skirt because they've had it and they know they can have it so they can actually focus on the woman in question. Mm. Thank you so much. This is this has really been a, a f fascinating and uh, enlightening conversation. And before we round out here, I do want to touch upon uh, the topic 
this the second side of the the whole concept of the dark side uh, that that you brought up when we first talked about it, which is the more like darker kind of nasty or kinky aspects of of sex within the conscious sexuality world. Um, my observation um, as someone who's gone quite deep into the world of kink and dominance and submission is that there's a bit of a split between that world and the kind of tantra conscious sexuality world to a certain degree in that um, a lot of times um, the kink you know the kink and bdsm people are really skeptical of anything that, that seems like woo woo or new age and uh, and the the tantra people are really threatened by the kink bdsm people because it looks like really violent or dark or somehow um potentially misogynistic uh with all the dominance um and the you know and the the men to you know are often the doms and the women are submitting and it they're they feel like that plays into patriarchy so there's mm -hmm. uh these two areas of sexuality are often um, not very happy bedfellows. What's, mm -hmm. What is your take on all of that? Well, I think there's a place for absolutely everything on that spectrum, right? It's uh, some people like their sexual experience all dressed in white with some candles and lavender oil and flute music, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and that's fine. You know, I mean, there's, there, there is people, that's their actual flavor. They want their sex that way. And then there's people who you know, need unbelievably extreme things to um, uh, feel God, so to speak. You know, they are the same thing applies as we've talked about before. When you need to be, you know, hung by your breasts off a tree or something like that. I just saw that. So that, that was rather, uh, you know, on the extreme end of things. Not saw that personally, saw it, you know, mm -hmm. on my computer. Um, you have to ask yourself... Is that how numb you are, um, that it takes that much to open you? Or is that the natural expression of your, you know, psychosexual heart, mind, body, and that um, lets you see God, right? And that's, that's kind of the, the measurement if we're talking, if you're wrapping it back up with, you know, starting with sacred sexuality, the whole idea in sacred sexuality of all kinds from... Vajrayana Buddhism to Tantra to, you know, other forms of that is that um, sexuality is a portal into the divine in whatever way you want to say that. And in that moment or in that, in that interaction, there is an opening into something um, incredibly, uh, you know, expansive and profound and divine, however you want to explain that for yourself. And that's what most people I've come across are intuiting and looking for. And so if you are using stimuli and if you're using experiences to access that portal, um, then you have to assume that every human uh, body mind, you know, has a different lock and every, every, key, every lock has a specific key. So if your key happens to be um, a certain uh, dominant submissive theme or, uh, you know, a certain kind of stimulus in the, you know, spanking or whatever, and if that's truly your key, then that key opens the lock and then there's that amazing um, moment, you know, that portal. 
if it is the thing that re-stimulates uh, um, your experiences, good and bad, from your formative years or your experiences, and then you need a stronger and stronger and stronger stimulus because it just doesn't hit it quite as much. Like, once again, with drugs, right? They mm -hmm. say no, no high is as good as your first high. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you need more and more and more and more to have the same result and eventually it doesn't work and then you try something else, that's probably not your portal into the divine. Now, I know people in both the kink and in the sacred sexuality world who have found their keys um, or you know, the, the areas are, that, that are the locks and the keys that they're playing with and it's incredibly beautiful and Often it becomes quite subtle, not always, but often um, it becomes quite subtle after a while. But sometimes it starts with like really, really, really strong sensation and really extreme acting out of certain things. And then it becomes more and more and more and more subtle. And then I've met people in both of those domains that are just re-rutting uh, re a rut right, over and over and over and over. And of course, a subspace... Um, you know, is a is a very very um, um, interesting space. It's like drugs. It's like a, a trance of of a you know of all kinds that in itself be ca can become quite the thing. Particularly if you aren't able to um, uh, get that kind of a release anywhere else. And you know, because of that. Once again, there's no right or wrong. It's not kink is bad or BDMS is bad, or BDSM is bad, and sacred sexuality is good. It's what you need so that portal can be accessed. It's it's your particular disposition that makes it that that opening occurs. Mm. And last question for somebody who hears this idea of oh a portal opening to the divine and opening to the divine through sexuality and maybe maybe they you know have had a taste of that that gets them curious or they just like the sound of it um what would you say is the best path um other than you know taking your workshops which i'm going to recommend <laughs> which i'm going to recommend everyone do but w what is what is the first path the first step on that path for somebody who hears um about um, you know, going there and, and saying, wow, I really want to have that experience. I want, I, I want to bring the divine or the sacred into my sexuality. Well, the first, the first bit is always honesty, right? a, an honest assessment of where you are and what's actually going on for you. And then the next step is um, inquiring within the the body you have right literally the body you have not 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 uh, figuratively but feeling your body being with your body and seeing how your body reacts in the situations that have to do with sex and relationship because a lot of these things can be explored mentally and many people do it and a lot of people read stuff and then spout it and teach it without ever having actually felt it in their body but it's the body that still is the vehicle to sex and and God and money and everything else, right? We have a body. That body um, is an instrument. And the working with your body, the feeling of your body, the being aware of the 
both the talents and shortcomings of your body in the realms of trauma, movement, response, responsiveness, um, closures, injuries, all of those kind of things. So the emotional and physical body, that's where I would always start. Mm. And that's a great segue to talk about your work. Um, you uh, teach workshops um, from uh, various classes, um, weekend immersions, uh, longer trainings. And my understanding is that you have a lot of focus on the on the somatic aspect, like you mm -hmm. just said, in these in these workshops. Um, if people uh, want to go further, if they are curious, if they um, like uh, what they've heard and want to go further, uh, what's what's the next step for people if they want to work with you or find out more mm -hmm. about you? Well, there's uh, quite a few avenues to go. Uh, you know, as you said, I mean, we teach uh, things as as small as uh, three-hour evening intros, both in Europe uh, and in the U.S. and also uh, in Australia in uh, October. And uh, then there's there's uh, day-long uh, classes that uh, you know are a little bit more involved. And then if somebody really wants to throw. Uh, all in and really immerse this five-day uh, uh, intensives where uh, because of the time and the length of the immersion, we can actually work with the body, actually w work with the sexual body, uh, with people's you know emotional dispositions as well as their sexual dispositions. So there's a, there's a lot that can be done in a the five-day. There's also six-month uh, kind of uh, study group mentorship uh, situations nine months groups in Europe and now we have a teacher training where we're actually uh, training people in two different tracks one is an embodiment track where we where it's all about the opening uh, the body and working with the body somatically and the track that deals with the sexual attraction and the heart and the portal so to speak uh, so there's there's a wide wide variety also for people um, you know who don't or can't come to workshops there's a uh, I think 50 plus hours on SoundCloud uh, of my stuff and there's uh, courses on my website like audio courses on my website so there's lots and lots and lots of ways to um, you know dig in deeper and then uh, Steve and I also uh, work with people privately where we give actual instruction you know tailored instruction uh, you know, anything from an hour to a whole weekend or longer where we go and, uh, and put people in the very situations that they're working with and training them and working with them somatically and, you know, working with their, sec their specific sexual questions and uh, uh, all other related things. Great. Um, and for those listening, uh, I'm going to put a link um, out to your site uh, on my site, but if you're listening, you're not in front of the computer right now. It's uh, Michaela Bohm, M I C H A E L A B O E H M dot com, Michaela Bohm dot com. Uh, and um, if you're listening here and you want to find out more about me, it's uh, Michael Ellsberg at Ellsberg dot com, E L L S B E R G dot com. Michaela, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. I, it was such a great talk, and I learned so much uh, talking with you. Thank you very much. And everyone listening, please, if you haven't uh, gotten into Michaela's world, um, check her out on the web, uh, listen to her other audios, go to her classes. I really think she's the best of the best out there 
on this topic. Uh, thank you so much.